Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, Searching for the Soul of Outlander with me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow. And me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. We love the book series, books one through eight, so we will be talking about them all, so beware. There are spoilers ahead. Hi, everybody. We are back, and we have again with us Amy Davis. Hi, Amy. Hello. And for those of you who did not hear in the last episode, she is Dr. Amy Davis of the uh, University of Hull in the UK, which is in kind of the northern part of the UK. Uh, And her specialty is film studies, where she teaches in the film study department. But her specialty in the film studies is gender and fairy tales, uh, particularly having to do with animation and film, current day animation and film. So we are so glad to have you back. specifically, right? And Mm -hmm. Disney, especially. Mm. So lots of cool stuff there. Things you may not have thought about having to do with gender issues, and Amy is all about it. So, (laughs) or as my godchildren used to think, I watch cartoons for a living. (laughs) (laughs) What I've always thought, you know, film studies people had a had a really good bag. Like, you know, you get to watch films all the time. Yeah, I was looking at your DVD collection here. Right, (laughs) you should see my off. Yes. We're also, we're here at Amy's house, so I'm in Hull this weekend, um, visiting the in-laws, and took some time out from watching rugby all day. So came over to Amy's house, and she has made Cherry Bounce. Woohoo! So, <laughs> the bottle says February 2019, so, you know, it, it's, a, it's a few months old now. It's really good. I Thank think <laughs> I think it would we were just discussing it it would be really great in coke so like an outlander cocktail with coke and maraschino So tell us what is in this cherry bounce Amy Yeah Well you can throw any alcohol in it <laughs> I put in whiskey and vodka in fact specifically I used Jack Daniels and Oh, I think it was some Sainsbury Brands vodka, right. some supermarket vodka. And you put that with a bunch of cherries and sugar mm-hmm. and a bit of lemon rind. And you pour the alcohol in over that in a big jar and you give it a good shake and you put it in a dark place and you leave it. And periodically I went back and shook it a bit to kind of keep it going and it basically sat and did its thing for about six months so it's the process a bit like slow gin yeah then yeah it's a kind of classic infused alcohol I yeah think. yeah but i can see how it could be dangerous oh yeah i had the first <laughs> sip of it i had neat and i think roger calls it industrialized cough syrup and yeah i mean it was like diesel practically but cherry flavored yeah yeah, we've we've cut it with water and it. Yeah, I think yeah. the water I, opens it up. A it bit. does. Yeah, it's good. So uh, we'll I'll post a photo of her beautiful bottle online. I wonder if you put um, it some tonic water in it if it adds some fizz or something. To yeah, it. I did try that. Yeah, because I've got a bit of, ton- of tonic water because I I like gin and tonic. Yeah, so me too. I have that and it was okay. Yeah, it added a little bit of fizz, but it didn't really add much to it. And it was actually a bit better with just water. Mm. Or, I haven't tried it this way yet, but with Coke or Sprite or something like that. So, a grown-up yeah, Shirley Temple or yeah, something. Yeah, or like yeah. an alcoholic cherry Coke. Or ginger ale or something, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, but, oh, yeah. So, I, I just want to clarify, I am not drinking the cherry bounce. That's right, Terry. Oh, because I don't have a straw long bounce. enough to reach across the Atlantic. <laughs> And because it's 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> it's 
always cocktail time somewhere. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I was in Texas the last or a couple weeks ago, and yeah, we were feeling the need for a beer at about 11 a.m., and we we were thinking that that was a valid excuse. Yeah. <laughs> There's always the classic mimosas yeah, and Bloody Marys, and there are lots true. of breakfast true, alcoholic that's drinks. True. So. That's true. <laughs> well, and doesn't Lord John drink port and small beer with his breakfast? Oh my or gosh! Yeah, breakfast? I think you're right, he does. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, if Lord John doesn't, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a lot of places, alcohol was safer to drink than <laughs> water true. because the water was full of cholera and god knows what else yeah that's true that's true right so continuing the conversation we started previously okay so we talked about beauty and the beast as a fairy tale that might be applicable to the outlander story are there any other folk tales or fairy tales that would be applicable or variations of the beauty and the beast story that we might not be familiar with because we might only know the disney story or Disney version of the story. That, that relate to Outlander specifically. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking primarily at the first series, mm-hmm. um, in the first book, I've identified, in addition to Beauty and Beast, Beauty and the Beast, another seven different oh my gosh. strains. So, for instance, when Claire and Jenny go searching for Jamie after he's been kidnapped by, or not kidnapped, but arrested by the army. Yeah. Uh, from Lollybrock, that's Search for a Lost Husband, which okay. is a a fairy tale variant. Right. It is specifically, if I can see this tiny, my tiny writing, ATU425A. Okay, so tell us if you're going to mention the, the <laughs> those codes. What okay. do those codes mean? ATU stands for Arne Thompson Uther. Okay. And this is a big fairy tale cataloging system. All right. That okay. not only characterize or sorry catalogs the main fairy tale, but also the various versions of it or the variants of it. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds and hundreds of these, and there have been a few people who have critiqued that it's a bit Western biased, a bit European biased. Mm-hmm. But I think there is more of an effort to open it up to the rest mm-hmm. of the world, and yet. At the same time, part of the point of the ATU system is to show that there are versions of essentially the same story that go around the world. Across the world. So they might be local variants. So a Chinese story and a South African story may look quite different, but actually they're essentially the same. Yeah, and they boil back down to something that we would recognize and call by another name. Cinderella, for instance. Cinderella is seen as the most widespread fairy tale in existence, I believe. Oh, wow. And literally every known culture, society on earth, past and present, has some variant that in its essentials traces back to Cinderella. It's why we believe these stories are literally thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. And when people start talking about the original version of a fairy tale, I actually feel my spine kind of like, because there is no known original version. It's lost somewhere back in the ancient past and we'll never know the original version if something like that can be said to have ever existed. Mm. I mean, I guess in a purest sense there must have been one person who was the first to tell this story but equally they could be basing that on hearsay and pulling together bits of things that something something that actually maybe happened Mm -hmm. or partially happened 
But if there's stories that arise in lots of different cultures or contexts independent of one another, then that would suggest to me that there's something innately human about these stories. Um, Which then, yeah, I don't want to take us on a tangent, but then brings me back to that, the conversations that we've had previously, Terry, around, well, and that frames this, all this work of fiction, whatever, however you define fiction, but this story that's non-documentary is sacred in the sense of it is essentially who we are and what we do. I think it becomes tied into culture. I mean, isn't that what Levi Strauss discovered is Mm -hmm. that the movement of story and the movement of culture and the story changes just slightly with Mm -hmm. a new culture that's created. If, you know, you've got one tribe here and the tribe moves and the needs of that tribe change, the story shifts just a little bit, but you can still trace it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And even just, if I tell one story to a group of adults Mm -hmm. and then the next day tell it to a group of children, I'm probably going to change certain aspects. And not because necessarily that there's maybe content that I worry that the children might not be allowed to hear or able to understand, but simply things that might not interest the children because they're life experiences they won't have had yet. Yeah. You know, or I happen to know that particular group of kids really likes action adventure, yeah, yeah, dragons or whatever. So I'll maybe throw in a dragon just to, if I see their attention. Yeah. Going. Yeah. Even look at, I mean, so since we're talking about Outlander and mm-hmm. that's what we talk about, I mean, look at the difference between the storytelling of Diana and Ron Moore. So there's yeah. going to be yeah. a, a completely different way of, of focusing uh, of the story. There's going to be different tellings of it based upon the needs of the audience, yeah. based yeah. upon the needs of Ron Moore, and yeah. based upon the, and the, the needs of the media. Of a visual. Versus yeah. A, yeah, the versus print. medium. So yeah. that database that you were talking about, Amy, I've got the web address for. It's www.m as in Mary, F as in Frank, T as in Tom, D as in David.org. So www.mftd.org. And it's the Multilingual Folk Tale Database is what it's called. Well, and that's one of a number of really good yeah. websites that, that cover this. And there are actually versions of this wow that's one of my life goals is to actually own one of these but they can be pricey they're hard I to would get expect they would be and then wouldn't they be how out of date do they become like how often does it need to get updated not, often. not really no, okay because these would be late enough editions that it would be pretty established but so are there new stories being created all the time? Well, according to some theorists, no. There haven't been new stories created for centuries. That it's basically because the, the seven basic plot, a seven or fourteen basic yeah. plots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's okay. only seven stories in the world, and we're retelling them over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just maybe mixing and matching a bit, but yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. So what were some of the others? You talked about the search for the lost husband. Yeah. What was what were some of the others that you were um, well, we mentioned Beauty and the Beast, of course, quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Androcles and the Lion, to a degree, particularly with... I was thinking about that in particular with when Claire fixes Jamie's shoulder when okay. she first meets him. And, I'm not you know, familiar with that story, Androcles and the Lion. The, the Lion has a thorn in its path. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she, yeah, so the, the mouse or the, the human, or there are various versions of this, mm-hmm. but that once the lion is helped, he becomes the protector of... The person or the, the animal who's helped him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. 
So, and of huh. course, that's what Jamie, you know, I'll, what does he say? I'll, um, you have the protection of my body, my mm-hmm. name, my clan, and if need be, my body, body something well. like that. Yeah. And you need not fear me long as I'm with you. Yeah. 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 Mm. And of course, or later when he asks, you. after he has that confrontation with Larry, you know, did you ever feel like I needed you? And she sort of looks at him as like, from the very moment I met you, I've been constantly fixing you and helping you. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's in a sense she keeps renewing that. Oh, that's fascinating. And Roger as well think about thinking that. about it. Yeah. When he helps Jamie after Jamie gets bit by the snake. Yeah. So he sucks the poison out. He pulls the thorn out. Yeah. And after that, their relationship changes fundamentally. It does. And immediately. Yeah. A contract is set. Yeah. The contract yeah. is set. Yeah. But it's, it's got to be like old magic contract, right? It's got to be like, that's a contract somebody saves your life. That's like old, ancient oh, yeah. old stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking about that even in the context of the theology and hospitality stuff I do. We don't connect it to those kinds of stories, but, or, I mean, it's more in the, you know, real life examples that I would use, but that story would be completely applicable. Um, in the sense of we do this for you so that when we need you, yeah. you'll do this for us later. It's a kind of selfish altruism. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so story story and culture and story and sacred understanding of the way the world works kind of go together here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it isn't necessarily saving a life. It's doing a service, yeah. helping. Yeah. You know, and that's a part of human culture, you know. Totally. I, I think I read somewhere that we're one of the few, if not the only species that shares food. Oh, okay. And that's a big part of establishing culture is the sharing of food. You know, the, it's not just the protection of the young and of the sick and of the elderly, because other species will do that. Mm. But, you know, your dog's not going to share his food with you. Mm. You know, no matter how much your dog <laughs> loves you. you know, no, my dog their... won't. And if I got yeah. in the way, it would be bad. <laughs> yeah. You know. But by sharing, you mean by setting aside? Because I'm just thinking of like a pride of lions all feasting on the same gazelle kind of thing but, but also it's... competing and there's a pecking order as to who gets yeah. to eat yeah. and there is. what they get to yeah. eat whereas yeah. particularly within at least certainly within the hospitality cultures uh, in which I was raised you give the guest the best yeah 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 Fair enough. You know, and the guest cannot make a mistake, mm. you know. Mm. And I've heard of extreme versions of that where if a guest spills their wine glass, the host must immediately knock his or her glass over. Yeah, I've heard that too. You know? Oh, right. I've heard that as well. Yeah. yeah. So there's... Interesting. A bit extreme. I'm not going to ruin my tablecloth just because you ruined that <laughs> end of it, but you know. <laughs> but it's to make them feel like they're not... They haven't yeah. done the yeah. worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, I can do that too. Yeah, anyway, yeah. keep going. What other story? Let's see. So there's also one. Oh, and if you're interested, the Androcles and the Lion is ATU 156. Okay. And then there's another one, ATU 471, which is the bridge to another world. Huh. Which, of course, is the stones. Yeah. And the, the journey through the stones. And, of course, that's even turned into a a pretend fairy tale within the, the series and within the books of the, the woman of Balnain, the folk of Stone yes. Me Over Again yeah. and all of that, where Claire yeah. realizes that's her story. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's expanded on in the series. The yeah. whole bit about the rhyme and the met strangers who became lovers and friends and then went back to the man I'd left behind and took up with him again. Mm-hmm. That's from the series, not from the book. Yeah. But it's still... That, that whole idea of the bridge. And of course, this story, they're constantly 
talking about that journey back and forth mm. of the the strange culture, the strange ways that they're entering into, of the various reasons for taking that bridge, whether mm. they're accidental or to change history, like Galus wants to, and like uh oh the the five, sorry uh, the Motok five. That's it. Oh yeah. the Montauk five. Montauk five. Yeah. 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 It's that idea of going to the other, mm-hmm. the other place, whether it's a parallel universe or another dimension entirely or a new world i mean yeah. so you've got i mean there are there are zillions yeah. of stories of going on the sea voyage or yeah. or traveling to a different world i mean i'm thinking of gulliver's travels i'm thinking Voyager. of uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah traveling or journey to the center of the earth i mean there's mm-hmm. just tons and tons of stories of going to different places that seem as if they were lost in time or seem as if they were just in another bizarre universe going to a different planet. Oh gosh, there's so many of those stories because then not only are you examining another culture, you're examining your own in that way. Yeah. 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 And of course, I think it's a significant link back to that, that Uncle Lamb, Claire's mm-hmm. uncle, was an archaeologist. Yeah. She mm-hmm. grows up learning how to read from archaeological articles playing with archaeological artifacts, presumably participating in digs and studies and things like that. So she is dyed in the wool mm. as a kind of archaeologist and cultural anthropologist. And mm-hmm. we hear that from her over and over and over, mm-hmm. especially at first, because it's still new to her. Yeah. And it gives her the tools to be able to kind of understand what she's seeing and, and being able to analyze it from kind of an objective experience, which is a nice little tool Diana gave herself there. Yeah, yeah. yeah Claire's kind of got, she's got like all the skills she can. <laughs> she's yeah. super Claire. She's yeah. super Claire. She's the king yeah. of women. She is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, learning the things that are not suitable for a girl of gentle birth yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) throwing her boat hat to the wind when she left the boarding school Mm -hmm. that's right yep (laughs) total mary tyler moore thing yeah Yeah. it's such a great metaphor why she never covered her covered her hair when uh, yeah 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 wow cool any others yeah uh well this would be one more from Frank's perspective primarily, although Roger dabbles in this as well, mm-hmm. and it's the quest for a lost bride, uh, which is ATU four hundred. So how is that different from the quest or the search for the lost husband? You're searching for a husband or her searching for a wife. So is it the same story? It's just a variant of that story, yeah. right? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically, I mean, yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I've also personally would argue for the shepherd youth in the robber's power. And that is ATU 958, I think it is, where basically an innocent young man, in this case I would argue Jamie, Mm -hmm. is in the clutches of a vicious, evil, powerful figure Mm. or group of figures. So the British Army, Black Mm -hmm. Jack Randall, you know, he's constantly falling into Mm. other people's control. Column? Yeah. 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 Governor Tryon. Yeah. Even um, Benedict Arnold to a degree. Yeah. Oh, I've conflated I, the later books I uh, read at the same time as watching the last season of Turn with um, 
And so, so Benedict Arnold's character, totally like the guy who played him, yeah, yeah I, I can play those so stories. Good. as well as Hamilton. Yeah, the later books, I also yes. discovered Hamilton at the same time, and so yeah, Jamie is totally in the Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton yeah. cast, as far as I'm concerned. I haven't engaged concerned. in Hamilton yet myself, but I'd like to. Yeah. I just haven't had a chance. But, yeah, I find it very interesting, this sort of surge that we get periodically mm. of this interest in the American Revolution, which is actually not a well-covered story in film history. Right, okay. um, Partly because it's not terribly exportable, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Americans may be intensely interested in the American Revolution. Other countries might have people who are interested mm-hmm. but not in the same way it's more just sort of foreign trivia for all that it is actually hugely fundamental to how the world is now yeah yeah you know but it's it's like the english civil war to americans you know? yeah i'll say the actual doing of the american revolution isn't unfortunately very interesting there's there i, I, I it isn't it's just it's a bunch what? of why do you say that of, because it's a bunch of skirmishes <laughs> That, it's a bit more than that. It's a bit more than that, but not. It, it didn't seem to have. It doesn't seem to have a solid thread through it. Mm. Part, Other part than just the overthrowing, overthrowing colonial rule. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 there and there's it, it's a, it's kind of mushy over here. I mean, you, you go to different places and you can see where the American Revolution took place. You can see where it begins in Boston. You can see where it ends in Virginia. But there's, there's, the stuff in between is, 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 does not lend itself to a strong narrative. I think that's what I'm looking for. Well, it's a lot of documents and a lot of philosophizing, mm. isn't it? You know, yes. about creating a yeah. new way of life, a new way right. of governing human beings. And yeah. Well, so, so the writing of the Declaration of Independence is a great narrative. Yeah. But the actual story of the the fighting and what have you to get us to the point of Yorktown isn't so interesting. If you were to tell the story of one battle, that's interesting. But yeah. the actual but the actual arc of the revolution from the first battle to the end is kind of uh, it, it doesn't really, it's not cohesive. <laughs> but that's a story in I itself. Agree. Yeah. I, okay. I don't totally agree with that because I think there's a, a fundamental cultural shift that has to happen so. when people stop thinking of themselves as Englishmen and start thinking of themselves as Americans. You know, that that is a, a fundamental social, cultural, and also identity shift. Yeah. That has to happen. And it actually has to happen in a very short span of time. Mm. 1775 to Yorktown, 1781, mm-hmm. uh, the Treaty of Versailles, 1783. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, what, eight years. Yeah. And Hamilton, the line of the world turned upside down. And so, I mean, it certainly had its impact. But yeah, I can see as far as a being able to encapsulate it into a into a narrative yeah un- un- unless story, you're doing it so yeah un- unless you're doing it through the lens of say the declaration of independence or through yeah. hamilton or through something yeah. like that it's it's not an easy it's not an easy epic to tell as and so that's that's i'm just wondering why it's not been done on television on yeah. in film as often because of the difficulty of the narrative of but it. i think a lot of it is export yeah um, the way that hollywood tends to work particularly modern hollywood mm. it has to think about the international market yeah mm. and in particular increasingly the asian market mm. and particularly if you're going to 
play films in some place like China, mm-hmm. and you're going to play a film about a revolution that overthrows a, a powerful government and has rule by the people. Mm, yeah, probably not going to fly very high with certain <laughs> areas or aspects of the Chinese government. Yeah. Yep. But I even, with Hamilton, was wondering, how in the world is that going to play here in the UK? So far, it's been really popular. But I think there's a lot of people here in the UK who don't know that history. And then it also kind of brings into the whole, this is a myth that we tell ourselves. And and a lot of what we know about the Revolutionary War, you know, was very exclusive for white people and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah. yeah. But then at the same time, British some, uh, one British audience got the extra thrill of seeing one of George III's descendants in the form of Prince Harry singing a bit of one of the songs on stage in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After, the, after the performance. Yeah, so. yeah. And they do find George III really funny, which everybody <laughs> finds funny, but I think the British do find it funnier because well, they... Yeah. They know who he was. And I don't know if you remember um, the animated sort of interstitial series Schoolhouse Rock. Yes. Oh, I do. And, and there's George an episode III is hysterical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the No More Kings is the name of it. And I show that to my students when we're talking about the rise of television animation, and they love it. Right. The, the so shot rung around the world, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a that. different one. But yeah, there's is it a different No one? More Kings is about how the revolution happens. Okay. And, you know, it's the idea of, you know, that we're not going to have kings anymore. So that's mm. the song is No More Kings is the refrain of the song. Right. And George the Sick, or George the Third, rather, is sort of pictured as the sick. You know, I think one description I read of him is he looks like he's syphilitic. You know, <laughs> and he sort of sits on this gigantic throne far away and, and laughs at us. Although, weirdly, he seems to be king of Britain for basically the whole of American colonial history, which is obviously impossible. But, yeah. you yeah. know. It's a cartoon. So, as an aside, I don't. Do either of you watch Good Fight? So it's the yes. spinoff from The Good Wife. Yeah. They've started doing these yes. little schoolhouse yes. rock little explanations of like non-disclosure agreements, and there was one on patriarchy, and they're fantastic. Yeah. I was so delighted. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Next year when I do that module, those will be you're going to show those. Too. Awesome. But there are other sort of. Sp- sort of riffs and, and yeah. parodies of them. But yeah. Cool. Yeah, the good fight's been really good. I really like that. <laughs> so, okay, so we were talking about, well, we were kind of ripping Jamie, and <laughs> as, as he deserves, in the last episode. And so there was, I wanted to kind of revisit the conversation around feminism and outlander and i've had some twitter conversations with a couple folks and they were like yeah i just had to stop reading it because rape or because sexual violence or because abuse or something like that so i would like if we could to kind of have a conversation about why if we think those things are bad (laughs) and we are feminists why do we find Outlander still an important story? Why do we give it the attention that we think it deserves? I mean, personally, mm-hmm. while I certainly can find discomfort in reading about these things and find some of the, the ways that they're resolved problematic, mm-hmm. it is also an insight into how many people actually do think and how many people actually do feel. Mm-hmm. and into how our society, rightly or wrongly, and I would argue wrongly, mm-hmm. is actually structured, even now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this idea that things are completely different from the way they were in the past. And yes, things have, are different, and yes, things have improved, 
But mm-hmm. fundamentally, there are a lot of things that have not altered, particularly as regards women and our sort of position within society. And that's not even to go into more sort of recent discourse around other genders mm-hmm. besides male and female. Mm-hmm. That those of us who are, are female are still lesser. I mean, let's face it, equal pay, equal rights, these are still topics of conversation mm-hmm. and still requiring legislation to be brought forward despite the fact that this has been an issue for so long for, for so long. Yeah. Yeah. At least 50, 60 years just in the most recent iteration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, in terms of, you know, yes, we were saying I think deservedly yeah. bad things about him. Me too. That for all he does have good qualities, he has been led into this this very domineering and patriarchal and controlling way of organizing his life and of course I think one of the things that's really interesting about the uh, the series and the way that adapts some of this, but as we say, you know, nearly a quarter of a century after the books, is the way that actually some of the changes that have happened. Because we've been through a period and are, are still in a period, I think a very rapid change, mm-hmm. that things that may have been okay even, say, back in the late 90s, mid-90s, are no longer okay. I loved, for instance, in the most recent series, season four of the show, when they find out that Jamie and Ian, although in the show mainly Jamie, have mm-hmm. beaten the shit out of Roger and sold him mm-hmm. yeah. as a slave, and Bree finds this out and she confronts them, and Jamie starts to get all angry and mm-hmm. make it all about him, and she stops him cold in the show and says, you do not get to be the angrier person here, or something like yep. that. Yeah. You don't get to be angrier than me, she yeah. says. Yeah. And that is a very modern thing. Frankly, it's more modern than probably even the 1960s Brie yeah. would have had. Because 1968, 1970, because Brie leaves in 1970 to come mm-hmm. to go back in time. Mm-hmm. I nearly said to come back in time like I'm somehow back in time. <laughs> <laughs> that she's still in second wave feminism. Mm-hmm. You know, second wave feminism is only really beginning to take off in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's still, mm-hmm. it's very about white women, middle mm-hmm. class women. I mean, she is the quintessential second wave feminist mm-hmm. activist in some ways, or at least target in some mm-hmm. ways. But it's still a bridge and it's nowhere near what we are now. Whereas what we hear Bree say in the show, which is much stronger than what we hear her say in the book, yeah, it brings in third slash fourth wave feminism mm-hmm. and says, you know, this is me. Mm. not you you do not get to make this about you i'm allowed to be the angrier one i'm allowed to be the important one mm-hmm. i count my story matters yep. which is actually one of the most feminist aspects actually of i think outlander and a lot of in the west particularly within the anglophone world we've tended to focus on fairy tales that have female central characters much more so than male central characters mm. And it's that saying that women's stories matter. Mm-hmm. That's extremely reactionary against patriarchy. We don't necessarily think of it that way, but it is. Mm-hmm. When you think that in the majority of films, it's only like 30% of all female characters have speaking roles. Yep. And that's being really generous. You know, if someone says, thank you, that counts mm-hmm. as a speaking role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking of all the... I mean, I know your specialty is Disney. All the Disney stories that I'm thinking of, except for Aladdin, maybe, or Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. most of those are the main characters, a 
is a princess. Or, you well, know, like female. The, the, yeah, a female princess, Disney princess person. Yeah, Pocahontas, Moana, Mulan. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a few, like Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. Bambi. Dumbo. Bambi's a boy. That's right. Dumbo, yeah. Dumbo. Fox and the Hound. Yeah. God, that destroyed me when I was a kid. <laughs> I had nightmares sad, about Fox and the Hound. <laughs> like, so sad. Yeah. Cried yeah. about it for oh, yeah. weeks. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of the princess thing, I just want to very quickly say, oh, yeah. until the 1990s, there are hardly any princess films. In Walt Disney's lifetime, there were three. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella. Sorry, that's the wrong order. Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Right. And that's it. Then in the mid-1980s, in 1985, with the Black Cauldron, which almost nobody seems to remember, we get the fourth Disney princess, Princess Alonwi. Okay. And I don't even know that film. Yeah. A lot of people I, don't. I don't know the do. film, but I remember it coming out. Yeah. It, it did not do well. Mm. No, it didn't. And it was actually their first film to get a PG rating. Mm. And it nearly got an R. Oh, wow. Maybe yeah. that's why it didn't do so well then. Well, it was an adaptation of the Lloyd Alexander series, the, the Prydane Chronicles. And it wasn't Lloyd Alexander enough for his fans, but it wasn't Disney enough for Disney fans. So right. it seems to have fallen in that gulf between those and it's not until ariel in the little mermaid in 89 that we get the fifth disney right. princess and suddenly it yeah. becomes all about the princesses during the 90s during the second as it should be known disney renaissance huh. yeah because the 80s so the 70s and the 80s the disney the movies began to decline disney as a studio declined Di- uh, yeah and they really were not the they, they were not the shows that you wanted to go see. You ended up going to see other fairy-type tales like... Never-ending story. <laughs> or, well, that, and, and I'm yeah. thinking of Back to the Future, too, because I yeah. consider yeah. that very fairy-tale-like. Oh, gosh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, his bridge to another world is a DeLorean, but it's yep. still a bridge to another world. Right, mm-hmm. and, and going to see serial-type things like Indiana Jones and Star yeah. Wars and those types of fairy tale mythology. Yeah. You, you end up getting that in the 70s and 80s. I remember when Ariel came out and The Little Mermaid, and it was just like this huge deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, they totally, they got a new president, they got a new... Everything they got a new look, a new feel. Yeah. It was just Wasn't it Michael Eisner's. Yeah, period? he came in in '84. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. seeing him. There was everything. a special Disney special on TV mm-hmm. every like yeah, every week, the, like the Sunday night or something. Of the Disney Weekly TV series. Yeah. yeah, so I remember seeing him on TV. I couldn't list any other Disney CEO, but I can certainly tell but you, you about Michael Eisner. Other, well, other than, other than Walt Disney. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, the wonderful world of Disney was a huge thing in the yeah. 60s and 70s. I mean, that show in different versions ran from 1954 to about yeah. 1986. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It was huge. And I, I think just coming back to the roots there and trying to connect with the audience in that way was smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of it because of the, the Disney Channel, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was seen as problematic because the Disney Channel was subscription television at yep. the time. Whereas the other was on the networks, mm-hmm. so it was in everybody's house. Yeah. But yeah. But back to the yeah, yeah back <laughs> to the conversation about why why do we find Outlander redeeming, maybe? Uh, yeah, I mean, part of it is the putting aside and mm-hmm. just saying, okay, that's bad. But 
this is still a really interesting story and it has good things so I'm going to focus on the good things and ignore the bad things there are plenty of people who yeah will do that and I've done that myself you yeah know? but there is also I think they bother fewer people than you and I and you know that we are assuming <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean you plural y'all <laughs> thank you it assumes <laughs> you know that that it is it is fine yeah. If it bothered more people, if it bothered a lot of people, these books wouldn't be a success. Yeah. The series would never have happened. The books would have died out a long time ago. Yeah. These, it's meaningful it's, for a lot of people. It's not only meaningful, I think it's recognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, because we were talking about, you know, the thing about fairy tales that makes them still work is they, you know, that they are not just still with us, but in variations around the world, mm. is they, they reflect us. Yeah. You know, or at least our larger society, even if they don't necessarily reflect exactly, you know, my ideas about the world, your ideas about the world, you know, there's a, you know, another person's ideas about the world, they still reflect the society that we live in, rightly or wrongly, they still do. But I think with the series, it's made some really interesting changes that do bring it forward to resonate even more with where we are now. As opposed to where we were, even in the even in the nineties. Yeah, when it was written, definitely. Do you think there's something to the idea that the portrayal of some of these characters shows their foibles, shows that they're not the perfect person, and so therefore I can recognize them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I know that that Diana has said from time to time that these characters are of a particular time and a particular place, and she's trying to write in a way that's true to them. I mean, and, and of course, some of those things have still been, you know, that that justification has been ignored and things changed in the series, such as Ethan Cho versus Mr. Willoughby. Yeah. Who Thank Clara God. Who refers to as Jamie's pet Chinaman. And, yeah. You know, God. the little Chinese. God. And we mm. don't get that in the series because that is now for most people, not for everybody, but for many people. It is beyond the pale. It is completely yeah. unacceptable. So, okay, so you were talking about Brianna being portrayed more as a third or fourth wave feminist in, in this in most recent aspects. season. Yeah, especially in her comment about you don't get to be angrier than me. But I've often thought that even Claire at times when reading was like, I don't know that that would have been the response of a typical... Oh, yeah. Not that Claire's typical... So there's there's that. And you can always kind of say, well, Claire's not typical, so you can't do that. Yeah. But even a typical feminist, even a typical woman, career woman, some of the conversations that she would have about things is like, you're even atypical. That way you're more representative of a 90s woman oh, yeah. or a early 2000s woman than you are oh, of absolutely. a 60s or 70s woman. Or 40s. Or 40s. As, yeah, I mean, yeah. in the 19, 1940s version of Claire, mm. she's much more 90s than she is 40s. And yeah, again, as you say, mm. she was raised in a very unusual way. Mm. And, you know, so that's made her different. It's given her more independence. Her mm-hmm. voice has been listened to and valued more mm-hmm. by Uncle Lamb and, and those around around her so Mm -hmm. and I think that's a part of why her marriage to Frank is characterized as the way it is Mm. he 
Because he's a man of his time. And she's, and she's not a woman of her time. But, and yet she gets with a man who is of his time and not of his time. But is more with willing Jamie. to change. Yeah. More able yeah. to change. Yeah. And who values her a little bit more, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Jamie seems to value Claire as Claire more mm. than Frank values Claire. Frank values Claire for any what children she, she might be able to give him yeah. and and yeah. The, the idea that she's on his arm and he's yeah. now a faculty member at Harvard and that's mm-hmm. a that's important so yeah of course he loves her but I, I you know I, I think it's more for Frank what what she can do for him yeah yeah as opposed to who she is yeah. which is in in talking about in pre- previous episodes we've talked about you know like Claire's vocation and how Jamie has always recognized her vocation and done whatever he was able to do in order to help her fulfill that. Not because it helped him, but because he knew that's what she needed to do. Going back to what you said, Amy, about people not being able to put up with something. And, and if, when, when large numbers of people say, nope, that's not acceptable, those pieces of the story disappear. And, and we, we saw that sometime in the late 80s, early 90s, the, the rape motif in mm. romance kind of falls out, falls away. And yeah. I still don't have a clear idea of whether or not that was a specific decision by like the romance authors of America or the romance authors of the world got, got together and said, nope, we're not doing this anymore, blah, 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 this is wrong. Or if it was just people stopped buying the books, people stopped doing that. Probably both. Uh, yeah, I would, I would imagine it's got to be both. both. It was, you know, a conversation probably arose. I'm, I, this is pure conjecture, specu- speculation. But I would say a conversation arose in lots of different places, both internally, probably, but also within groups of writers as well as with professional organizations. And too. fans. And fans, yeah. Yeah, and fans. So I had an opportunity back in November to actually talk to Ron Moore, which was really awesome, and to mm-hmm. Terry Dresback, his wife. And um, it was a very, it was only like 45 minutes, and there was a bunch of us in the room, but I got a chance to listen. And one of the things that he continually said in his conversation with the larger group that we were with, as well as in the smaller group that we were with, is that some of the things that Diana wrote would not play on television because of the fans would not accept it. Mm. And he's like, look, you've got this 800, 900-page book in which you can examine Jamie's choices, particularly when it comes to somebody like Geneva. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the story of Geneva and his choice to go ahead with that sexual encounter, even though she says no, and that she wants him to stop, and he continues on. And he's like, I couldn't show that because Jamie's the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get a much more complicated version of that in, in the book. You you may not like it, and I, I wanted to throw the book across the room when I read mm-hmm. that. But but I still picked it up and continued because I have this relationship with Jamie, the character, and I want to know what comes out of this. But he said, but in, my, in the 13 episodes that I've got to show, I can't have the hero rape somebody and still somehow make this, this person acceptable to the people who are watching it. They would have tu- they would have tuned out, and I'm wondering if that's some of the cleaning up of some of this is that these choices, as you were saying, that that an audience is not going to value a rapist as a hero. I think that's true, and I also think that it's it's very different to watch something happen than to read a description of it. Yeah. And if we saw him do that, I think it would it would be unmistakable what was happening. 
Whereas, yeah, <laughs> you know, in the book, it doesn't sink in as much to some readers or mm. it, I don't know, there are all kinds of ways that that well, could be. Well, and also going back to what we said earlier, the romance books on the whole, she says no, he keeps going, yeah. she enjoys herself in the end. Yes. Yeah. And as, that's does, what, as does Geneva. As does Geneva. Yeah. In fact, in the book, they have sex at least once or twice more. After that. Yes, they yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. She asks to do it again. Yeah. And she does She does in the show as well. That choice, the choice of, well, the, the spanking scene too. Jamie is shown as actually being brutal to her in the spanking scene. With that joyful music in the background. Yeah. Right. Then, and then he becomes... He, he, his hero status is knocked down. He is no longer yeah. king of men. And that has to be explained a little bit deeper for, and, and I, I don't know if we're just dumbing down the audience by not being able to give them a little bit of texture here, or if the, the deeper fear is I'm gonna lose my audience and, and or lose my investors because of this, and this is gonna be the end of the series mm-hmm. if I don't make Jamie the hero that he needs to be. But I think, yeah, I think you're right that they do have to take that into consideration. Yeah. They absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, Jamie sells. cultures. Yeah. 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 Because this has to sell in the U.S., Canada, mm-hmm. Britain, lots and lots and lots of countries. Yeah, we've got loads of followers from all over. Most... <sighs> I haven't done any research, so I'm not going to give it a quantifiable statement. However, I would say... At least from visualizing fandom, that the emphasis is definitely on Jamie as opposed to Claire. Yeah. <laughs> Even and it helps that Sam's beautiful, but Claire's beautiful too. So. Well, and to me, she's a far more interesting character. Yeah. I was actually quite upset when I read that Diana Gabaldon considers Jamie the main character. Yeah. Um, me too. That it's Jamie's story told through Claire's eyes. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. It's like, really? Do you really, really? (laughs) You know? It it just, it didn't work for me. I just found that diminished Claire so much. You know, it diminished her her existence. You know, she's only there to make Jamie have someone, have a narrator. Talking about the Bechdel test. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so it becomes it becomes is, the great Gatsby again. It's just yeah. it's yeah, Gatsby becomes he's the Gatsby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at least the show seems to be more about her. And I personally love that. And I know a few a uh, few episodes ago, Terry, you got very exercised about <laughs> that and about the fans who get angry about Claire being a strong woman. Yeah. Yes, I and did get angry about that. I totally was with you. Because I'm one of the ones who is angry when people get upset about that. It's like... What, what that she's emasculated, Jamie? That conversation? Of course conversation? she hasn't done. Of course she hasn't. I, I actually, when these arguments started coming out, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, has she? Mm. You know, I've got a very good memory for these sorts of details. Mm. And I started going, but I started, you know, second-guessing myself. Went back through the books. She wasn't taking things away from him. I think mm. there was like one tiny little thing that he said in the book that she said in the show. And I can't remember off the top of my head now what it was, but it was tiny. Most of the things that she says in the show or does in the show, she did in the book. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. And if anything, he is far more heroic in the show. Mm. But oh, yeah. she, we actually get to see her in action. 
Mm-hmm. We get to see how strong and how smart and how observant you know, of this, this strange world that she's in and how adaptable she is in finding her way through this alien world. Mm-hmm. You know, they may speak technically the same language, but even in that, the way she talks stands out as strange. Mm-hmm. She starts with nothing but the clothes on her back. <laughs> Literally. Even that, and even that I know I was about up. to say she loses half of it yeah. when she rolls down that field or, or down that hill in the show. Well, and then she she lands in a big group of people who want to rape her. At least one yeah. of them does. And then she lands with a group of Highlanders who are trying to kill the people who want to rape her. Yeah. So somehow and she, then she comes literally out. Starts, literally starts pulling strips off of the dress to bandage up Jamie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I celebrate Claire as a character. Oh, God. I found the last season kind of underwhelming for Claire, I think. It was a lot more about Brianna and Roger, which I, I understand, again, mm-hmm. if you only have 13 episodes to tell the story, the Drums of Autumn is really, it isn't only about Brian Roger, but you kind of have to push that forward so that you can get to the next season um, yeah, because yeah. they are so integral to the rest of the story. So you have to tie in the two of them. But I, I, I don't know. I, I really wanted to see more of Claire. She is my favorite character in the series. I, I love her tremendously. And I always felt like this was her story because I'm, re- I'm reading it through her eyes. I, I mm. never felt like in The Great Gatsby that it was the the story the the guy who's narrating and I can't remember his name all I can think of is Toby Maguire because he played him in the movie <laughs> as he's just kind of this this lesser character wishing that he was Gatsby and I don't think that that's ever clear and you know just conjecturing so we've got to get to book ten at some point <laughs> and so it's happening nine, this year no, book, book nine, book nine book is nine. coming out this year so we are moving forward. Please. We're moving forward. Bees <laughs> coming out. We've had glimpses into that for a couple of we years. We have, now. yeah, daily lines and stuff. So I'm wondering, since if, and Diana has said that this was Jamie's story told through Claire's eyes, which again, I'm not very happy with. But no. I wonder if that's the case then, and, and they both die at the end of, of 10, or at least one of them dies at the end of 10, it has to be Jamie first, then, if it's told through Claire's eyes. And he's the ghost at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as a as a writer, that would be that would make sense. You have to the narrator has to narrate from the moment they meet until the moment they part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have a bookend there, so you know, just yeah. conjecturing out towards Diana, if you're listening, please let <laughs> us know. <laughs> She's not going to. <laughs> oh, I'm going to ask her to next week. Okay. She's going to laugh at you and smile. And then sign my book and say, next. Yeah. Yeah. But it would make total sense for him to die because then that circles back around to him as the ghost. Yeah. We know Jamie's going to die at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. We know Claire's going to die at some point. She's not immortal. I don't think. But then again, you know, she is one of the old ones. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I'm wondering, too, if it's going to be like this whole somewhere in time thing where they meet up in the ether somewhere, you know, and are together forever in eternity Mm. if if we're going to get something like that. But that doesn't seem like a Diana thing. Everything has been grounded in reality. You know, they talk about God, but we don't get anything from God's point of view. Though Jamie does say repeatedly, if I have to go through 200 years of purgatory 
to yeah. get to you, I will. Yeah. So maybe the ghost is him coming to the end of his purgatory? Or the beginning. I mean, it's, it's a yeah. loop. Yeah. Or maybe there is no time in purgatory. Oh, gosh. Oh, we're getting into time. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> We've yeah. done that. Well, it is kind of a time travel story. It is a time travel story, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I have a theory, though. And it's, it isn't related to the feminist stuff. It's related to Fergus. Ooh. Fergus. Fergus. Yes. And my theory that Fergus and presumably Marsily and therefore presumably Leary are Claire's ancestors. Yes. I think Fergus and Claire are related somehow. That, you know, because there's the stuff that's coming out in book eight about right. the, the Saint-Germain and about mm-hmm. the Beauchamps. And they are near Compagnie, which is, of course, where at the beginning she says her French relatives are. And so, well, they must be there now. And, you know, that he is. But then if he is also the Comte Saint-Germain's son. Then he also has time travel capability. Yeah. Which presumably, therefore, means that Germain and Joan and Felicity and although he's, he's died, Henri Christian... But then, of course, Marsley's pregnant again at the mm. end of book eight, or she may have just given birth and they haven't mm. heard yet. That one of those children, presumably, is also Claire's ancestor. Yeah, so great great grandfather, great great grandmother sort of situation. Whoa. Yeah, well, I was thinking that she's setting this up for Fergus to be, a, be one An of ancestor, her ancestors. Yeah. Of course, it also yeah. means at least two of Claire's ancestors have tried to kill her. <laughs> Sasha Man and Leary both. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. It's kind of bad. You you sort of think your your own relatives would somehow find something in you that reminds them of them or of an, another. I know. Loved That's one. what I was just thinking okay. too. Well, yeah. I I wonder how Claire's gonna feel well, when she, she finds out that well. they have. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. How yeah. Fun. So that's that's my one pet theory about all of this mm. but then i kind of wonder if it'll happen because honestly diana gabaldon is terrible at consistency she is she relies on the fans she asks a question on twitter and the fans yeah. tell her what what happened yeah because somebody said something once about how funny it was that mrs fitz was the great grandmother of Sherman and all of the other kids and she responds she's no relation to any of those and of course the fans are like Wait a minute, she's Leary's grandmother and Leary's their grandmother. Of course she's related to them. Yeah. And so, she was like, Oh, whoops. She she <laughs> just recently she just recently got Claire and Jamie's age wrong, so I'm still going She does that all the time though, even in the first book. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's definitely some consistency issues here as well. And... Which is a real problem with time travel. Yeah, you need to keep your, your facts straight if you're telling a time travel story. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, if, you've got to know just gotta exactly. Put a board next to you with everything written on yeah. it, you know. I just remember in season two, there was so much confusion because the Chirons were wrong on the on the actual episodes. They would say it was seventeen forty, and it was in the book. It was actually supposed to be like seventeen forty two or yeah. whatever thirty nine or what. I I don't even remember now. 
but there was just so much and then about her pregnancy and there was just this you know first it was a bump and then she was suddenly nine months pregnant it's like what the hell happened so just i remember there's lots of conversations about the inconsistencies of time and how the tv show was doing it but it was like there's kind of yeah there inconsistencies in how diana tells the story too so in some ways this is true Television usually has the the what they call their Bible, the TV Bible for the show, yeah. the show Bible, and and they will have reasons for everything that they do, or they should. And if yeah. they're inconsistent and it doesn't match the Bible, then somebody's really done something wrong. More than likely, they had a reason and they just didn't communicate it appropriately, mm-hmm. um, which is more most likely the reason. Any other like inconsistencies, like somebody was wearing something here and they weren't wearing it over there is something that happens on set and that would be a costume person or a prop person's issue and there would be some inconsistency of that but inconsistency in the storytelling that they could have fixed in edit is generally going to be something that was intentional and they just didn't explain it well so i'm still wondering about roger's parents is you know my little thing how they kind of fit into all of this and if their relationship or if there was any type of relationship between them and claire's parents i think some information is going to be coming out about claire's parents i don't know that they died that's my that's my big thing is uh, you know did did her parents actually die are they buried somewhere or she's never talked about going to their grave or anything but has she's she? talked about their coffin being nailed shut hasn't she yeah, yeah so we so. don't know who is in there yeah yeah and we know that at least well mm-hmm. we can surmise if if my theory is correct mm-hmm. about the Beauchamps and the Beechams mm-hmm. that either her father or Uncle Lamb, or possibly both, mm-hmm. were also time travelers, mm-hmm. which actually puts Uncle Lamb's archaeological interests in a whole new light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the whole I've heard the theory that Frank knew that she was a time traveler and that he was mm-hmm. studying time travel and that that's how he met Lamb and that, or, or at least he was interested in time travel, maybe not, didn't know that she was. That he wasn't oh, quite as innocent that. about this whole thing. I mean, there's the stuff that he finds out during the war mm-hmm. and the letters that he leaves for Brie yep. uh, in her books, which I love that, you know, he's written all these academic books and no one in his family's read them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, it's good. That, that I don't theory. know how many people of my family have I know read my how books, that feels. So. My, hus- my husband has yeah. still not read my screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> my mom says she's read my books and things, but... She has them. Mm. She she claims she's read them. Yeah. My my mother is not allowed to read my screenplays. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many bad ones. So <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, this has been so cool. Thank yeah. you, Amy. Yeah. Thank you. This has been it's been such fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been. It's been great. I've, I mean, I've been listening to all your podcasts, <laughs> and now it's just like, yeah, I'm finally there. Pay no attention to the women behind the curtain. Well, cool. It's been great to have you. So glad you you were able to join us. I was able to come to Hull and we were able to do this. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. If you love what we do, give us a review, especially on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, because it helps people find us. If you listen and you like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click on the support us button at our website, www.outlandersoul.com. 
There's lots of ways to donate and every little bit helps. Also, we love hearing your comments, questions, and ideas for the show. So we'd like for you to join in the conversation. You can reach us through our website, email, voice memos, or social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. By email, you can email us at Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com, or via our website at www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. See you again in a couple of weeks. Bye.